Good morning, church. All right. Yeah, we realized there was a problem last week. So we had eight people get saved last week. Isn't that good? The problem is with the parking situation, 10 people lost their salvation. So uh, that's why... That's why we're doing what we're doing, but uh, Pastor Steve preached a great message last week, and uh, you ready for another one? Yeah. I'm ready for this. It's a good message. I'm excited about it, and again, uh, it is Vision Sunday. It's one of those Sundays that we, we look at and kind of set a direction for the year, and I will tell you that, that I've prayed and prayed, and usually I get this word, like, hey, this is a word for the year, um, and, and I prayed and prayed this year, and I didn't hear nothing. And I was like, okay, Lord, just give me a word. So I went up to my parents' ranch and prayed and prayed and, and sat by the fire. And, and again, really nothing. And so the word for this year is discouraged. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. What I did go, I don't know if this was from God or not, is, is the word progress, the word progress. And the reason I believe that I didn't get this big revelation of like direction for the year is I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you're doing it. You're doing it. We, we are realizing that we're building a new, a new sanctuary, and that's the culmination of like 16, 17 years of vision, because that's what we set out to do when we built this little box called the gymnasium that we've been having church in for the last 17 years. There's a reason that the nursery is in the sanctuary. There's a reason the bathrooms are in the sanctuary. And if you unchurch online, be thankful that you can use your own restroom at home that is away from the crowd. Uh, because we didn't design this to stay in it for very long. But one thing I know about God is God's timing is always perfect. Amen. It's always perfect. And, and as we build this facility, again, we paid this one off a couple years ago. Uh, we have most of the money to pay for the new one. Uh, you know, if we do have to borrow, it'll be minimal. And God's hand is in this whole thing. It is. And so that is the, the thing of, hey, we are pursuing the progress. We're going to see it build up. And I'm, and I'm going to say we will be in that new building by Christmas. I've said that three years in a row. Um, this year, I promise you we will. It might be just a metal frame, but we, doggone it, will go stand out there on a Sunday just to prove myself right. We'll be in it, but I think we'll be able to be in it by Christmas. That's the hope. Anyway, we're just kind of waiting on the weather to, to uh, do what it's doing to see if we can do the foundation. But, uh, but I will tell you this. As far as the building goes, it's not the building itself. It's not the building that we're going to, you know, not let anybody in. And it's pretty. If you've never seen it, um, it's usually on the back uh, wall by the ladies' bathroom and, and the design of it. But we designed it for community. We designed it for you to be able to come in and not go through again. We call it the cattle chute because that's what that is. So if you're newer here, you're like, how come there's no foyer? It's a gym. Okay, it's a gym. That's what we designed it to be. And so uh, with our new building, you know, there'll be a coffee shop. There'll be a huge, huge area. As a matter of fact, you'll have to go find your friends there because the, the foyer is so big. Uh, there's a coffee shop and we have a problem with the coffee shop. The, here's the problem is that you're all going to want to stay and drink coffee while church starts. But we have these new special seats, and they are 220. And if it's, they start shocking you, and it'll get you out of your seat. Uh, you know, we are a Pentecostal church, but we're going to add a little electricity to that. Uh, but for me personally, when our worship starts, man, I want to be in the house of God. Uh, I, it's, there's something special that happened today. Um, and again, worship team did a great job. And I'll tell you, you guys, you guys sounded like a choir today. For me, as I'm worshiping, and I hear y'all singing, it's such a good thing because some of you are going through some hard stuff. You're going through some times that you're like, I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like worshiping. But it's what we do when we don't feel like it that's so important. I've said often that the thing that you need to do the most is often the thing you want to do the least. And when you're going through stuff, I'm, I'm like, man, just praise your way out of it. Just praise your way out of it as best you can. All right, you ready to go? Yeah. All right. Today's title is, um, again, we're going to be as efficient with we, as we can with our time. Um, I'm not into long business meetings, just so you know. 
I'm going to be straight up with you. There is a football game that I want to watch at one o'clock. Um, as spiritual as that is, um, I'm going to watch a man who loves Jesus try to lead the 49ers to a victory. Um, and if they don't, then Melissa will be really happy to mark us. Her husband's a Philadelphia fan. So it's a win-win situation. It is. It is. Yeah, for her, that's going to be good, whatever it is. Uh, because my happiness, and this might hurt somebody's feelings, my happiness is not based on a sports team. It can't be. As much as I like watching sports, uh, my happiness is based in Jesus. It really is. And so we have to get our priorities in the right place. Again, um, you know, you can enjoy sports, but boy, if we don't give God the praise that a, a person can do for a football team, yeah, it's amazing what we do for entertainers, huh? It's crazy. All right, now that the guilt's over, let's get on to the fun stuff. The title of the message is From What Is to What Can Be. And again, if you're joining us online, um, I know there's viewers in Florida, there's viewers in Hawaii. Uh, my mom and dad are on a missions trip there to Maui. Um, my dad is ministering to my mom on the beach, and uh, we'll be joining them in a couple weeks, actually. So uh, it's a short-term mission trip, but it's, it's going to be good. And uh, people from New York, there's people that watch from everywhere. Some, some lady from China watches. And so uh, that is, it's amazing what our team does. The team that you don't see, our audiovisual people, people that are doing stuff up in this room right here. We give them a hand because they are making, I get way more uh, emails and messages from people who watch our online and they're so encouraged by it. And so again, we have a lot of unsung heroes that we just don't see uh, that are making that happen. And so um, everybody plays their part. Amen. All right. From what is to what can be, I've shown you this many, many times. And again, when I pass and I would just ask that you put this on my, my gravestone, the first service, I really messed up. I said, what and why? And I kept saying it, what and why? And I was getting tomatoes thrown at me and people were like, what? And I'm like, what? And then I realized that it says how. I've taught this so often. I, I, I don't know what my, where my brain was at. But I, what and how? What and how? What do I want life to look like? How am I going to get there? What do I want my marriage to look like? How am I going to get there? As soon as he changes, then, um, all right, neither of us are changing. You all know that. You've been married long enough. You're probably not going to change too much. But what, what do I want life to look like? And for me, this is like an everyday thing, okay? I am a list person. Do I have, do anybody else make to-do lists? Okay. Kristen, she is, I love her list. I go up at staff meeting, and she has her whiteboard. Her writing is really good, and it's a list that makes me happy, all right? Um, what do I want my week to look like? How am I going to get there? And if you will live this way, okay, you will find yourself succeeding in the things that God wants you to succeed in. Okay? The what is easy. The what is, this is what I want. It's just a dream. It's a thought. This is what I want. The how is much harder. If you're married to somebody who spends a lot of time on Pinterest, <laughs> the Pinterest is the bane of most husbands of, uh, of the world. All right. And if you have a husband who spends a lot of time on Pinterest, that's interesting, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, there's good ideas for sure, all right? And, and I, I don't spend a whole lot of time because my wife just sees these ideas and the what is easy. It's like, we should build this trellis with pavers and flowers and, and vines. And I'm going, it's going to cost a lot. And it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. It's like I said, Wednesday night, my, my wife, she's awesome, creative. She's like, we need to paint the building. We need, and I'm like, what's this we stuff? Like, where, where's the we? She's like, well, I can help. I'm like... Yeah, no, we don't brush. We spray, okay? Um, so I live, I live with a what woman, okay? And she's married to a how man. All right, and it works out somehow. 
So most of the time I just have this in my brain. What? <laughs> what? How do we go from what is to what can be? What and how? I want to show you, um, again, many of you have probably heard this story. Um, I grew up in the mountains of Northern California, uh, and I'm talking way North California. We could see Oregon from the mountain that I lived on if we rode our motorcycles up. Uh, and so I grew up riding a motorcycle. So I wanted to show you, because I'm going to tell you the story of what I started out with. So this, was, this is a Honda 70. Uh, this is a, a pretty cool bike. It's a bike that I learned you know, I was riding hogs before they were popular as like an eight-year-old. And, um, and, and this isn't my bike. I, I went on the internet and found the ones that I had. Uh, this particular bike, I went through our neighbor's fence, a wooden fence, because I was still used to learning how to ride. And I crashed, actually broke their wood fence with this one. That explains the facial situation of me. All right. Second bike was one, it's a, a 1974 Honda XR75. That was my first like real motorcycle. And I remember the day that my dad bought it from some friends of ours who lived in Fortuna and uh, put it on the, in their truck and we drove it home. And this was what I learned to fix. This is what had points in it. This is where I learned uh, mechanics because if I didn't fix it, I couldn't ride it. We lived two hours from Eureka, which is where the bike shop was. And so um, I did a lot of work on this one uh, and, and it was a great bike. The third bike, I pulled it up, and when I was 10, this was a, like a 1981 Italjet 50, it's a two-stroke, and just like some of the girls in second grade, it was a lot cuter in my memory than it was when I pulled it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I Googled it, and I was like, is that really, because that's kind of, that's, that's not very cute. It, uh, and, and this bike, I had a poster of it in my bedroom, and, and I had this idea that if I talked about it enough in front of my dad, that he would buy it for me. I, did, I mean, I just, for some reason, my 10-year-old brain was, if I talk about it enough and how cool I'll be to have it, because my dad was so concerned about my coolness in our town. Um, and, and, if I, I, I just, and I was very strategic as a, as a 10-year-old. Like, dad, this bike is the coolest bike. Dad, isn't this great? It's a great bike. And for some reason, in my little lame brain, I thought by talking about it enough, my dad would carry my excitement and actually purchased things thing for me, but he never said a word about it. And, and as many hints as I was dropping and sometimes direct statements, dad never forked out money for me to buy this little Jet 50 because it said, you will be the coolest kid on the block. That, that was the advertisement. Yeah. And I lived in the country, there was no blocks. Uh, but, but in my mind, I was gonna be the coolest kid on the block and it never happened. And then in 1982, I went to the motorcycle shop and this, was the, the brand new YZ80 Model J, water-cooled, single suspension. This was a fast, fast race bike. And I went to the bike shop, and they had seven of them, and the 1983s were coming in, and so they had them on sale for $750 out the door. And again, when you're 12 years old, that's a lot of money. But I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I said, I, I really want to get this bike. Obviously, I can't afford to pay for myself. And again, the conversation, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. But would you meet me halfway with it? Like, if I earn half the money, would you meet me halfway? And my dad said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I went to work in, uh, you know, washing his, his trucks. He had a logging company, and we, had, we called them crummies. They're beat-up pickup trucks, basically, because they didn't get taken care of, but they called them crummies. So inside and out, Saturdays, I'd go wash them all. I got $5 per truck. I would mow some yards. I would just do random jobs to earn 5 $7 at a time to buy this bike. And I remember calling the bike shop, you know, into the summer, and, and say, hey, do you still have them? And they said, yeah, we have one left. 
And my heart sunk. I, 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 my heart, I was on the phone, the one that actually had a spirally thing hooked to the wall. Um, and I remember hanging it up and looking at my mom. I had like tears in my eyes. Like, mom, they have one left. And I wasn't there yet. I didn't have half of the money. I was close, but I was like $40 short. And my heart was sunk. It was like, they're going to sell my bike. And, and so mom worked her magic with my dad, <laughs> which she's been doing for like 54 years. And, and they talked, and, and my mom said, I'll take you in the morning to get it. And so I, I probably didn't sleep much that night because I called them right back. And I said, my, my, we can come in and get it tomorrow. Again, it's a two-hour drive. And, uh, and so they said, we'll save it for you. And so I uh, woke up in the morning. We got our old Ford truck, drove two hours into town. And, and I remember pulling up to the bike shop. And there it was. And it had my name on it. It said Stan Johnson. I was like, so then they put gas in it. And, you know, we wrote the check for 750 bucks. And, and again, I had to make up. I still had to keep working to pay for it. And we, we got it in the back of the truck. And we drove to Willow Creek, if you know where that's at. And, um, and we stopped at a place to eat, and I remember it was in the back of the pickup, and I got in, I started that sucker up. I'm like, wing, wing. I thought I was cool. Everybody else thought I was an idiot. Like, what's this kid doing? Like, and so we drove it home, and man, that was, it was my favorite bike. I mean, it was a super fast, super fun to ride. And my point with that is, is I expected my dad to buy me, or at least hoped he would, to buy me the Yieldjet 50. But that's, that's not how my dad worked because my dad and mom raised us to work hard, okay, to, to earn what it is that we wanted, yeah. all right? My dad was teaching me something about God that I didn't know, and that is this, that when we say, God, will you meet me halfway? God, this is what I want. God will say, you know, I'm not just going to give this to you. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to do something for it. Now, salvation is completely free, but you still have to give up your life, right? You still have to give your heart to him. So there's action on your part. But my dad was teaching me something. He was teaching me that, that when you have a goal, you work towards your goal, you can achieve your goal. So here's my statement with this. There's a difference, okay, between want and desire. I, I wanted the Idlejet 50. I wanted it. I just wanted it. I didn't offer to work for it. I just wanted it. I wanted him to give it to me. And dad wasn't buying into that. Desire means I'm going to work toward it. I'm going to do my part to, to achieve the thing that it is that I'm going for. And here's what I know, and I still know about my dad. I knew there was no question ever if my dad would keep his word. I never thought one time, what if I get to, you know, $300 and dad says no, or 350 and dad says no, or 375 and dad's, what, what, I never doubted one time that dad was not going to keep his word to me. Now, most of you didn't grow up in a home like that. Most of you didn't have a dad who was there to keep his promises to you. You, you may have had a, a parents that kept or told you something and didn't deliver. So you, you go into life going, okay, I read this in God's word. Do I trust it? And, and you have every right to feel like that. And so it's my job to tell you that God can absolutely be trusted to keep his word to you. That when he promises you something in his word, it's going to happen. Just like my dad, when he said yes, there was never a doubt the, the, the day would come that I would go get that bike. Never a doubt. Because my dad's like that, and he's still like that. He's a man of his word. I don't ever remember my dad breaking a promise to us or, or the family. I remember wanting him to promise us some things. Okay? But he did it. My dad was a man of his word. A handshake means everything to my dad, and that's how he raised us. All right. So we need to do our part. We need to be willing to work to make things happen in our life. And again, I'll tell you this. You won't achieve a goal you're not pursuing. You won't achieve a goal you're not pursuing. Now, before you take that apart and go, well, there's an exception, I want to ask you first, does anybody know who Percy Spencer is? Does anybody, there's, there was nobody in first service who knew who Percy Spencer was. In 1940, Mark, do you know? Mark? I was in first service. He was in first service, yeah. 
Leave it to Mark. He was in first service and he learned something. He learned who Percy Spencer was. Mark, you can go ahead and leave. Um, you're good for the day. Just come back for the meeting. All right. Percy Spencer, okay, I knew the story from a previous thing. In 1945, uh, he was a self-taught engineer, okay, very brilliant guy, and he was working for Raytheon. They were working on a radar defense system, uh, again, in 1945, and he was working on this thing called a magnetron vacuum tube, okay? And so as he was working on this magnetron vacuum tube, it had to do with defense. He had a chocolate bar in his pocket that he was saving for a snack, and as he worked on his vacuum tube, he noticed something when he pulled the chocolate bar out. The chocolate bar was melted. He realized that he just invented something that he did not set out to pursue, and that's called the microwave oven, something that probably every one of you have in your house because 90% of Americans have a microwave oven in their house. So we can look at the statement, you want to achieve a goal you're not pursuing. Percy Spencer was not pursuing building a microwave oven, but he was pursuing something. And when he was pursuing something, something happened that he wasn't expecting. And in our walk with God, it's really not any different. We pursue God. We, we do what we, we feel God wants us to do. And sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we think, but we were pursuing something. We were pursuing something, something good. So I love that story. Mark chapter 5, let's get into the heart of the message today. Uh, again, we are, we're in this series looking at Mark 5. There's three stories in there. Uh, we've talked about two of them so far. I talked about one two weeks ago about the demoniac, this guy that had, he made bad choices in life, and he ended up demon-possessed by a legion of demons, a tremendous amount of demons, and he was evil. He was, he was captive by the devil. He lived in tombs. He beat people up that walked by. He, they tried to chain him up, and he would break the chains. This guy was crazy. And when he saw Jesus, because we called him crazy guy because we don't know his name, he saw Jesus, he comes screaming like, ah, what do you want with me, Jesus? And I had the little dummy head, remember that? Traumatized some of you for a week. Um, we're going to do it in kids' church and tell them, if you don't obey your parents, this, um, <laughs> that'd work, huh? Uh, I was a kid's pastor first, so I know what works. Fear is a good thing. Demoniac, life choices. Last week, Pastor Stevie preached a great message on the woman with the issue of blood. It was not her fault, but that was her issue. She was there, um, and, and I, I called her Sneaky Woman, because right, she doesn't have a name. So I'm going to call her Sneaky Woman. So you have Crazy Guy, you got Sneaky Woman. Why is that? Because she was sneaking. Like, she saw Jesus walking, and she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So I'm just going to touch, and I'm going to ditch, right? And so I called her Sneaky Woman, because she was being sneaky. I think it's better than the woman with an issue of blood because she was being sneaky, right? She Good intentions, but she knew if I touch this guy, I have blood, he's going to be unclean, but I'm going to override that because I need something and I need a miracle from God. Today we're talking about a little girl and we're going to call her princess because she had a daddy that loved her with all of his heart. Like many of you men, love your kids with all your heart. And you would do what it took to, to see your child that was dying live. You would do whatever it was, even if it was to give your own life. I have no doubt that every man in this place would give their life for their 12-year-old daughter. I'm not convinced you'd give it for your 13-year-old son who doesn't listen to you, but, <laughs> but for your little girl, you would. All right? This daddy pursued Jesus for her because she couldn't. And all three of these approached Jesus with the same result. They were all set free. All three pursued Jesus and all three fell at his feet. I, I, I caught that yesterday. I was reading that. I thought, wait a second. Crazy guy, okay, demoniac, he comes and he falls before his feet. Jairus, he comes and he falls before Jesus. And the woman, once she gets found out, she falls before Jesus. I thought, man, there's a pattern here. 
Like to get what you need from God, you have to fall at his feet and surrender it. You have, to, you have to do that. You have to, and again, that's why we believe in the altars, right? The altars, it, the altars themselves, there's nothing magic with the altars. There's something when you come and you just kneel before God and say, God, I, I'm just going to give this to you. And again, the, the altar's our friend. It really is. And it's, it's, I, I have a friend who said it's, it's God's workbench. And we bring our life on. We stick it on God's workbench. Okay? And, and the problem is that you know, we're talking about living sacrifices. Sometimes it crawls after you out the door, right? Next week, we got to do it again. But all three of them pursued Jesus. All three fell at his feet, and all three of them got the miracle uh, that they needed. This lets me to tell you there's no formula in how you approach Jesus. Okay, crazy guy's like, ah! Sneaky woman's like, ah, just touch. And, and Jairus just comes and says, Lord, I, I need a miracle. God, there's no formula in how you approach him. The important thing is that you just approach him. That's what God wants from us. So let's start in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Again, Pastor Steve, you started this uh, story because there was an interruption in it, so we had to start it that way. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat, okay, he had just set the demoniac free. They, get, they come back across the Sea of Galilee. They land. So he crossed over, back over uh, on this side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter, we'll see that she's 12 years old. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. He had heard the stories. Maybe he had seen some miracles take place. And, and he was at the end of, of his rope. He, there was nothing else he could do. We'll see that his little girl was actually dying because he had already hired professional mourners, okay, which is what they did in this culture. The more mourners you had, the more you, you proved that you loved your children. It's kind of a messed up way of thinking, but that's the way it was in the Talmud, which is like a Jewish law. Okay, you had to have at least one mourner and two flute players okay, at a funeral. Okay, that was kind of a requirement to do that. And so, again, he would have had a lot of them, but something happens. And Jesus says, I will go with you. And so Jairus' situation, again, is so bad. They're already hired. He, he has lost hope. There is certain death. His little girl is going to die. And then he sees a speck come across the Sea of Galilee, and I think he realizes there's a crowd. This has to be Jesus. This has to be the one that I've heard of. This has to be the one that has healed people. I know he can do something about my situation. And he shows up. He lost hope, certain death, and Jesus shows up right on time. You see, Jesus is never late, and he's never early. We learn this from Lord of the Rings with a man named Gandalf. He says a wizard is never late. He, 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 what? he arrives precisely when he means to. And I, and I have to think about that because Jesus, again, is never late. He's always right on time. We might think he's late, but he's never late. And, and something happens here in this urgency. And his urgency was met with interruption. Jairus was an urgent man. He was like, Jesus, she is dying. I need you to come and heal her. And Jesus does it. His urgency was met, was met with interruption. You ever had that happen in your life? Every time I drive... To Boise, my urgency is met with interruption. Happens every time I drive pretty much, right? Can you feel me? Yeah. Hey, I, I listen to famous preachers preach the same thing. So I know I'm a man of God and I still have a problem with people that don't respect my time because I'm trying to get somewhere else. Can, do you feel me? Just give me an amen if you understand. Some of you are so mad you can't even talk right now. Um, it spun you up. 
What we don't know in this moment, okay, again, a large crowd followed, pressed around him. Again, if you didn't listen to last week, go back and listen to our YouTube channel. Uh, Pastor TV preached a great job on this. A large crowd's following him, and, and Jesus gets touched by this woman, even just his clothes, not his skin. His t- and he stops. He's like, whoa, who touched me? And they're like, everybody's touching you. And Jesus says, no, power went out from me. I felt it. Like somebody, t- somebody touched me. Somebody with faith touched me. And finally, this woman, she's like, it was me, it was me. She comes in, she falls his feet, she tells this story. He's like, who touched my clothes? And I wonder how much time elapsed. Here you have Jairus leading Jesus to his house. This woman, and Jesus just stops. And he said, who was that? Who was it? And the woman's probably cowering down backwards. And, and was it two minutes? Was it five minutes? I'm thinking it was probably 30 seconds or so. I'm just thinking through human nature, like 30 seconds for her to go, I, I, he's got me. Like I, I'm healed, I know, but now I have to confess. And how long was the conversation when she, it says, she explained to him what her problem was? And I wonder, was she a very, was sneaky woman like a talkative woman? Did, did, did she start out when she was, when I was three years old, I went to the end, da, 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 da. And was Jesus going, just get to the point. Because um, I, I got to go. Jesus wouldn't do that, I don't think. Was sneaky woman a talker or was she just the facts, ma'am, type, type of woman? Did she keep it at a minute? Was it three minutes? I have no idea. My guess, complete guess, is two to five minutes for this whole thing to happen was probably two to five minutes. Again, um, not because I went up to the mountains to pray. That wasn't the word from the Lord, all right? It, it was probably two to five minutes just thinking normal, normal life, like interrupted. She explained to him what happened. And, and as Jesus is listening to her, he says this, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And that is the word of the Lord from every single one of us. That's what Jesus wants for every single person. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be healed. Okay, maybe not physically because this body has to die, but healed from our sins. And he wants us to go in peace. I will tell you this. If you don't have your sins forgiven, you cannot live in peace. That's why I'm saying there's a heaven and there's a hell. The only way to heaven is by accepting Jesus as your savior. Confessing your sins. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. That's the only way to heaven. And when you do that, that's the only time peace can come in. Because a person that is bound up in sin cannot be peaceful. Amen? Like, if you're bound up in sin. Now, you can be a Christian and not have peace in your life. You can do that. Now, we could be real spiritual religious. Well, if you know Jesus, you should never have hard times. No, that's baloney. Jesus in the garden in Gethsemane did not have peace in his heart. I mean, he was crying. He was like drops of blood. That was an intense moment. Now, he had peace in the situation because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he would get through it. But there are times in our lives, guys, that it's not an unspiritual thing to not have peace. Like, just like, I'm saved, but man, life stinks right now. You ever been there? Okay, anybody have a rough couple weeks? Okay, welcome to the club, all right? Um, Okay, the last three weeks have been a test. It's like, what's going on? Like, a lot of prayer. And and the more people I talk to, the more like, yes, something's happening. Well, your pastor suffered it too, so you're fine, right? And I'm here today. Why? Because I need the money. No. No, I don't do this for the money. Y'all know that. I don't do this for the money. I do this because of what I'm called to do. Amen? And we do our job. We do what we're supposed to do, even when we're suffering through some things. Um, and, and so this guy, again, gets interrupted, and it doesn't say what's going on with Jairus. Is Jairus like, if he's, a, if he's the man that I think he is, he loves his little girl, what does he do with this interruption? He's like, come on, come on, come on. I mean, she, this, is, this is going. And as Jesus is talking to this woman, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
be freed from your suffering. It says, while he was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus. This, this would have been relatives. It was, these would not, in this culture, have been servants. They would have been relatives to come and deliver this news. Jesus is saying this to this woman. And as they come, they come to Jairus and they're like, Jairus, your daughter's dead. It's like, don't, 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 bother, don't bother her anymore. Well, Jesus hears this and he does something. Jesus says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. He, he speaks faith, he speaks hope into this dad who is torn up at his little daughter's passing. He reassures Jairus, don't be afraid. You see, Jesus operates outside of time. He created time so he's not hindered by it. Your time frame and how you think God should be doing things in your life is not reality. When is the last time God did something exactly the way that you told him to do it? <laughs> because a lot of our prayers is telling God what he should do, right? I mean, we, we can mask it a little bit, but, but really we want God to do something and we think it should be in our time frame. And Jesus ignores these guys and he says, don't be afraid to a man who is broken. You see, he spoke the world into existence so he can speak life into something that we think is dead. He can speak life into something that we think is dead. How important is that? Because there might be something in your life today that you think is dead. And God's like, no, it's never dead when I'm in it. It might hopes and dreams, things, desires that you've had in your life. You're like, this is taking forever. Now, if, you, if you come to Wednesday night, you'll see that sometimes God's will takes 80 years to accomplish. I'm going through the life of Moses. And it's just it's like 80 years old. And God's like, okay, we're ready. He's like, what? I'm 80. I'm old, all right? You're going to lead the Israelites. And he's arguing with God in, in our study. He's arguing with God as to why he shouldn't be the one to go. It always works out well when you argue with God. Yeah. So here's three things I want to show us, all right? There's what was, and there's, there's, there's things that we operate. There's what was, what was, there was sickness, right? There was a sickness. We don't know how long she was sick. We don't know if it was an asthma thing that happened fast. We don't know if she had been suffering, you know, for years and she's finally dying. We don't know if it was an accident. We, we just don't know what happened with her. But there was the what. The what was sickness, okay? And then there's the what is. The what is is death. And we as humans tend to operate in the what is and the what was. Like this is what life, okay, this is what it is. Jesus operates in the what will be because he's the author of all time. He's the beginning and the end. He, he knows everything. He's the author of what will be. And that's what we need to be to people who are going through the what is phases in life. What is, my life is terrible. This is happening and then life. Okay, we need to be the people to say, but okay, with God, this is what can be. We need to be that inspiration to people. We need to be the ones that infuses hope into people that have a hopeless situation. And that's what I love about our church family is that's what we're here for. We encourage each other. We encourage each other that are going through hard things. We can be what they don't feel at the moment. Sometimes we have to have faith for somebody else. And that's what Jairus did. There's no record of the little girl saying, Dad, will you go talk to Jesus? Because I really need a miracle. And, and Jairus is like, well, if you really want me to, there's no, I, I think Jairus did it on his own. I'm going to go have faith for you. I'm going to go have faith to see you do a miracle, all right? And so Jesus reassures them. I love it. And Jesus speaks, I believe, to, to dad's fear in the statement. Now, there was many times, if you've read your Bible much, there was many times where Jesus actually chastised his disciples for not believing, for having doubt, for having fear. And you remember times Jesus gets on to us, he's like, why are you guys so afraid? Like, you know me, you know I've never let you down. And, and he, he will rebuke his disciples several times for their lack of faith. Here, it's the opposite. He reassures this dad who is in this emotional trauma 
and he speaks to him where he's at. Now, we would do well to be more empathetic, wouldn't we? To, to speak to people where they're at. It's hurt. A lot of times it's a hurt speaking. We talked about this a few weeks back. And, and to see, okay, this is the reaction. This is what they're doing. But there's something going on behind the scenes that we need to have compassion on. And Jesus speaks to this man right where he is. And I love this. He has this empathy. So I tell you that to tell you that Jesus understands what you're facing emotionally today. He understands it. And he loves you for it. He loves you that you're you. And he's with you. And he's not there rebuking you. Oh, you little faith. If you just believe. That's not how God works with his kids. Okay. He might work that way with some of his disciples that he's with that they should know better because he's done all these miracles. But God speaks to this man and he, he just connects with him. I love that he ignores the people. Sometimes you need to ignore what other people say about you. Amen. You need to ignore what's posted about you. You need to ignore what's whispered about you, right? You need, you need to know what to ignore. You need to ignore the doubters. You need to ignore people that tell you you're nothing. You can't, you'll never achieve anything. You need to ignore those people. Jesus ignored people so you can too. Amen. Set you free right there, right? I'm just being like Jesus. I'm ignoring you. <laughs> I, I can imagine spouses doing that this week. I'm talking to you. I'm just being like Jesus. Don't do that, right? Don't do that. We just create more work for our staff because um, we'll have to pick the pieces up. All right, well, let's cruise. We've got about 10 minutes. Then Jesus does, Jesus does something interesting, verse 37 through 43. We're going to read 39 and 40. I love this. It says, again, they continue on. He, does not, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. How many is that? Let me ask you a question. How many fingers am I holding up? I'm actually holding them all up. There's just one that's sticking up. Uh, it's a perception thing, right? That's an old kid's church trick. Uh, all right, because we tend to focus on this. So Jesus, he has, how many disciples does he have right now? Because Judas hasn't got whacked yet. He's got 12, okay? They're all on the boat. They're all in the miracles. How many does he pick? Three. He's like, the other nine, you just stay here. And they're like, what? Why? And Jesus is like, you know, spiritual enough or something, okay? Because there's a reason he made them stay back. Maybe it was crowd control, I don't know. But he picked Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Remember, there would be flutes playing. And this is not a symphony. This is like giving your three-year-old a flute or all five of your kids a flute. It is not music. It is noise. And that's what it would be. There's just, just and crying and screaming. They would pull their hair out. The mourners would scratch themselves. I mean, tear their clothes. It was like a big traumatic thing that they were paid to do. And Jesus sees this commotion and he, and he asks this question. He went in to the house and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. In verse 40, it says, but they laughed at him. The Greek word is they mocked him. They were mocking. This is how we know they were professional mourners. They were, ah, and she's just sleeping. Ha, ha, ha. And so we see the change here because there's no real sympathy. There's no real sympathy. So Jesus calls him out, and I think he did it on purpose. I think he wanted to see who believed and who didn't. I think he was weeding out the doubt right here. I think that's what he was doing. He asked the question because he knew what the commotion was. He knew what the wailing was all about. He knew that the child was pronounced dead. He knew that, but he asked an obvious question, I think, to get answers out of people so he can know who to, to just say, okay, get out of here, because that's what he did. Jesus made him leave, right? He made him leave. Why? He, I, I just say he kicked out the doubt, and we need to do that at times in our life. So here's what I want to talk to you about, maybe some friends that you have. If you have friends that take you in the opposite direction of what God wants to do in your life, 
quit spending time with them or at least so much time with them. Like this is just practical stuff. Why? Because you typically will go in the way of your friends. You're influenced by them. And what I have found is most of the time, if you have a, a Christian that's trying to serve God, but they're hanging out with a bunch of people that don't want to serve God, typically they go back to that direction. Typically. Now, there are some people that they're not affected by it, but I would say that your very best friends need to be Jesus followers because you're going to get the right Jesus advice because if you have a very best friend that is not biblically ground and they're not saved, they're not going to give you Bible advice. They're going to tell you to do things that maybe you're crazy, right? It might make sense to the world. But again, I'm not saying don't have unchristian friends because you should. You should have friends or at least good acquaintances that are not saved because you're the only life that they can have. Right, so, so don't just get saved and go hide out in the woods and wait for Jesus to come back. We are to be the light of the world, meaning we gotta be around some darkness. But if the darkness starts getting on you, that's where you have to separate. All right? So there, I just made your life easier. Now you gotta go tell your friends you can't hang out with them anymore and you're gonna go to a party right after church here and maybe do some dumb things uh, during the party. Then now you're gonna have to go, okay, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I just caused you to have to make a decision, okay? Here's what I know. Things either feed your faith or they feed your fear. If they hinder your relationship, okay, do, do they encourage you in your walk with God or not? That's a pretty easy way to say, okay, who am I hanging out with? And that's, again, what Jesus is doing. He is getting the doubt out of her. He's getting those out of the situation because he has a job to do. So the question is regarding your friends, all right? Are you becoming more like them or are they becoming more like you? It's a simple question to say, okay, are they becoming more like Jesus or am I becoming less like Jesus and Jesus does something. It says, after he put them all out, and I don't think he just goes, can you guys just please leave? Can you just, can you, can you just go? I think Jesus was like, get out now. I think this was fierce Jesus. This wasn't wimpy. Remember, he was a carpenter. He had some guns, all right? He was a strong guy. Yeah, Framber Bob right here, all right? He knows. This guy did a swing a hammer. I think they had hammers back then. I'm pretty sure they did. But he, he was a strong guy. Okay? He may not have been very big in stature, but I can tell you he was tough. And he, he put them all out. And I think the word there, I should have researched this, he says he put them all out. I don't think he just politely asked them to leave. I think he was like, get out of here now. And they all left. He put them all out. He takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, that totals five other people besides Jesus, and they went into where the child was, and he did something. Again, Pastor Steve, we talked about last week where this woman touched him. If she was bleeding and she touched him, Jesus would be unclean. He would have to go through the ceremony to be clean. He'd be clean until dark. Okay, couldn't, like, couldn't touch people. It was, just, it was a big deal. Jesus does something here. What does he do? He reaches out and he grabs her hand. Now, he would be defiled under Jewish law by touching a dead person. And Jesus is never afraid of going against man's law to touch a spiritually dead person. Like he will reach you out and he will take you from where you're at. He is not ashamed of your sin. Do you know that? He died for your sin. Yeah. Some of y'all think if God only knew, he no, he knew you did it before you did it. Yeah. He knew you did it before you confessed it. And when you confess it, isn't when Jesus finds out about your sin. He and God aren't up on the throne going, whoa, whoa. Did you hear what Stan just confessed at the altar? And he's the pastor, I can't believe. It. No, Jesus knows. Our sin does not defile him. He cleanses us, okay? So he reaches and he touches this girl and he, and he grabs her hand and he says to her, Talitha Colm, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. 
Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders to post everything online, make sure your Snapchat and Instagram, make sure you, make sure you tell everybody what I did because I'm Jesus, so I want you to record this because I, you know, I want to promote myself here. I'm trying to build my ministry, my credibility, so make sure you all videotape this and post it. <laughs> If you're a brand new Christian, that's not what happened, all right? That's, that's not, uh, that's why you need to get a Bible, follow along with me. To make sure I'm telling you the truth. No, he did something different than what we would do. It says he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He's like, just keep this quiet. Okay, this is, this is a healing. Yeah, it's incredible. They were astonished. And then he says, and give her a happy meal. It says he told them to give her something to eat. Isn't that interesting? Give her something to eat. Some of you love that scripture. Hey, 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 hey baby. Jesus is telling you to give me something to eat. I'm watching the game. Um, and, and I'm just planting seeds, guys, all right? Um, just planting seeds. Give her a happy meal. I love this, all right? So don't tell anyone. Feed her. You see, it's not about really what's said on social media. It's about why it's said. If you're like me, you'll look at, is this inspiration or self-promotion? Like, be careful, like what you post, be careful. You know, I always try, if, if I didn't say it, if I read something, I always try to wrote, this is who said it, to not make it look like I'm the one that invented this, this really cool saying. I try to, okay, this is who said that. Why? Because I never want to try to steal somebody else's saying. Right. I, I have a thing, I say, give credit to who said it. Right now, if it didn't, if I don't put somebody else's name on it, probably something the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I'm probably not the only one that He spoke it to. Okay, but we got to be careful what we promote and what we don't promote. Okay, is it inspiration or self-promotion? Um, that's just free. Jesus has this way of bringing dead things back to life. Amen. I love that. Okay, and if you don't leave this place with anything else, leave with that. Jesus has this way of bringing what's dead back to life. Your situation, your marriage, your home, your job, whatever it is that you're facing. Maybe it's, it's your kid that's not serving God. They've walked away from God. Do you, do you know that it's not your job to bring them back? Right. It's not your job. It's your job to pray for them yep. and to pray that God would put somebody in their life. Pray that with the seeds that were planted when they were kids because you told them about Jesus, most of you, and they walked away. It's not your job to be the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to bring conviction by little jabs. I call them jabs. You, you might think it's anointing, but it's not. Okay, your, your job is just to love and to say, God, I give them to you because I can't, I've tried. <laughs> I've tried. Give them to the Lord, all right? Every day you have to do that. They were completely astonished. And my question here was, if Jesus would have made it there on time, like I learned this was called an air quote the other day, all right? And I learned it on TV. So you should watch more TV. You learn stuff. An air quote, if Jesus would have made it on time as she was still breathing, as she was still breathing, when he walked in and she's still gasping and Jesus lays his hand on her and she just is like, oh, I feel so much better. Would they have been astonished? Or would they went, that's about what we expected. That's why drivers went to get Jesus because he can heal things that are almost dead. But to actually bring something back to life that we think is completely dead, that is a God and that is a miracle. That's a God miracle. And again, there's things in your life that maybe you have that you think are completely dead, but they're not. I've told you this many times, the size of your problem does not determine the size of God's power. God doesn't look at it that way, okay? My first ski trip, I was, I don't know, probably 14, 15 years old. My, my dad and my brother, I wanted to take me skiing, so I went skiing. My dad and my brother were pretty good skiers, and so they took me, um, and I'm skiing. I'm, I'm on the bunny hill, right, because I'm learning, like, how to, how to 
snowplow and, you know, and Bunny Hill is easy. And so I do good. I don't fall down. So they take me to like the intermediate slope and I go down and I don't fall. Like I'm, I'm doing good. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Probably a little arrogant, a little cocky. And, um, and, and then we, we take this really long ride. Like we get on the lift and we're going for a long time. I mean, it's up and up and up and up. And I, I don't think anything about it. I'm enjoying the scenery. I'm just watching. And then we get down and we start to ski toward where the lip is. And I notice that on the sign, there's like this black diamond symbol. And I'm looking at it and it's like triple black diamond, double death. You will not make it. Yeah. And, and my dad and my brother, they just go down. They leave, they ditch me. And, and, and I eventually made it. <laughs> I ate it so many times. I was <laughs> like, be careful what you brag about, right? Uh, because if you have a dad and a brother like mine, they're going to humble you in some way. I didn't realize that they took me to the black diamond, like the hardest one to do because I was arrogant in my bunny hill in my intermediate situation, right? Obviously, I still have forgiveness issues, um, in those areas, but no, it's a good story. But that's really what happened. They were going to show me uh, that it's a lot harder than you think. And so I, I related to the story that there are no level of difficulty miracles with God. There are no bunny hill miracles and triple black double death miracles. There's not a little miracle where Jesus would go up. Oh, okay, your, your sniffle has gone away. And, and looking at somebody dead going, oh, wow, this is going to be hard. God never says that to himself. He never says, this is going to be harder than I thought. You see, because bringing something back from the dead and, and, and healing a sniffle is the same power because he's the same God. Amen. It's not any more difficult. It, it doesn't, he doesn't have to work things up to get the big one done. He just does it. Why? Because he's God. And in your situation, he can do that. He can resurrect something that's dead or that you believe is dead. And God said, no, there's still life in that. Why? Because when you give it to God, it's going to come back. And so that's my question for you today, Olivas. What is it that you have maybe thought that was dead? Maybe it was a dream or something that God has called you to do. Maybe you thought your sin disqualified you. And maybe it puts you on the bench for a while, but it will never disqualify you guys. Never will. God can take a person like the Apostle Paul who was out killing people and doing crazy things and, and let him write half of the New Testament. If God can use somebody like that, he can use us. Okay, so, so if it's die, you need to say, God, please res resurrect that in my life. Now, while you're waiting, okay, here's the challenge. While you're waiting for the miracle, make a difference. Make a difference. While you're waiting for the miracle, make a difference. Do something productive. Don't just sit around and wait for your dad to buy you the little, little Jet 50. He wants you to maybe earn the YZ, okay? And he'll meet you halfway. He really will do that. So today, where is your walk with Jesus? Okay, if you bow your heads with him just for a moment. And again, we promise you, okay, that when you come to this church, right, the gospel will be preached, Amen. Heaven and hell will be talked about and an opportunity for somebody that you invited to church will be given for them to accept Jesus as their savior. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. What I'm asking you to do is develop a relationship with, with God who came down as a man, died on a cross for our sins so we could spend eternity with him. Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to come into your life. And most people around, sitting around you have given their lives to Jesus Christ. But is there one person that hasn't today? Is there one person here today that's like, I have never given my life to Jesus? God, I would be straight up, okay? Hell awaits you. If you die rejecting what Jesus did for you, if you don't accept it, hell awaits you. You'll pay for your own sins in eternity forever. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to do that. And all we have to do is give our lives to him. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. 
And if that's you today, I'm going to just ask if you bold and brave, if you just lift your hand up where I can see it, I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm not here to pressure you into this. I'm just here to offer. This is what Jesus offers. He offers you grace. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you peace. But we have to yield ourselves to him. Is there anybody in this place today that needs to give their hearts to Christ? Just, if you just slip your hand up, and again, I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you in any way. But Okay, all right, don't see any hands. All right, everybody look at me. So you're telling me, because I know how people drive when we come out of this parking lot, <laughs> that every single one of you are right with Jesus, okay, ready to go. And if you're not, all right, and if you were too afraid to raise your hand for service, it was a teenager who didn't do it. His dad was talking to me afterwards, and I said, make sure you tell him he can ask Jesus to end his life anywhere he's at. Okay, it doesn't have to be in church. If it's something you're thinking about, don't think about it too long, because you're not guaranteed your next breath, Amen. 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 Okay, here's how I want to pray for you. How many of y'all just looking at me? How many of you are just going through something now? I just want to pray for you, okay? Same thing, first service, hands up. Let me pray for God. I thank you for every hand that was raised in this place. You know every situation. You know online, people that are just going through some stuff, wondering, God, what's going on in my life? And I pray that this lesson would have helped to realize that, that we can be going along and have something disrupt us, but your timing is always perfect. And so I pray for a miracle in each hand that was raised and each family represented here that needs you to do something, that's something they can't do. They're like Jairus. They, they, they have nowhere else to turn. And I pray that you would be that miracle for them. And we love you and give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.